Welcome to the weekly special edition called What We Are Reading with your host, Jay, and good friend, Melissa. How's it going, Melissa? Good. Nice to see you this morning. Good to see you on a bright Monday morning. Actually, it's a gray Monday morning. It is a gray Monday morning. But that's beside the point. It's like my favorite. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I do too. And it's, I'm going to be drinking a lot of coffee today because of the gray day. Yes. Because it's my the, favorite thing. And we have to get like the big fireplace going in the lobby. And we do. Set we the do. mood with music. I'm all about a mood. Mood? Hey, we have a really good friend with us today. She's on staff here at Calvary, Lindsay Billington. How's it going? It's great. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you guys about an awesome book. That is a great intro. Well done. Hey, Lindsay's been on staff for over seven years here at Calvary. She works in the student department here on the Erie campus, and we invited her in last month to join Melissa and I as we read along a book called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And this is a fun book, a well-written book, and an entertaining book. Would you say, Melissa? I would agree. And I'm kind of jealous of the like two middle initial things. Like yes. I think that adds some, yeah, it totally really adds fancy. some like weight to your name. So I don't know. I'm up for suggestions if you have like another middle name I should add so that I can be yes, <laughs> Melissa R. something. You could, use your, you could use your middle name. Uh, your my main main name. name. Yeah. So it would be T. T is kind of a weird middle initial. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. This podcast Sorry. took a funny turn already. <laughs> <laughs> a minute and a half in. I could have been Lindsay C.D. Billington. Oh, I like oh. that. But I didn't do that. Oh, I that's should a, have. Well, you can do it one. when you publish a book someday. Yeah, true. Hey, Lindsay's here with us. She's in the student department, like I said earlier. Uh, she loves the Lord. Right now, she's attending Denver Seminary. And what is your degree you're trying to get at Denver Seminary? Yeah, I'm working towards my MDiv, just super slowly taking a couple classes at a time right now while I work in the student ministry here. That's really cool. Now, is your MDiv in a specific area yet, or have you figured that out, like theology, yeah, yeah. Um, formation? Yeah, my concentration in my MDiv is Christian formation and soul care, which I'm super excited about. Love the idea of getting to take those classes. Haven't done any of them yet, but I'm waiting for them to be at the right time of day so soul care that yeah. i mean that is Lindsay. like yeah, that's yeah. so perfect for you oh thanks that's really cool she that is actually the degree i got at denver seminary and i'm excited for you to meet all my friends at denver seminary super fun yeah yeah it's gonna be really cool can't wait so we're talking today about the book you are what you love by k.a smith and it's a book that was published several years ago um k.a smith himself is a philosopher who teaches at Calvin College. So he has a bent, as you read this book, as a philosopher, but it's not doesn't mean it's boring. What does that mean, Melissa? Oh, well, it certainly isn't boring. Um, I think it just, uh, you feel it come out in his writing as far as scripture references and how he speaks about culture. It's very different than the last book that we read it's in that really area. It's really different yeah. than the last book we read, yeah. And... Um, he is famous for sort of writing a few books that I have read. I've read most of his stuff, not to brag, but just to say I have read most <laughs> of his stuff in the sense of um, everything he talks about is kingdom-oriented, Jesus-oriented. Totally. Uh, he doesn't get squirrely or goofy. Um, but this book is what he wrote to show us uh, the fundamentals of worship shape our heart. Uh, while we desire to shape culture, we often are not aware how we sh culture shapes us. We might not realize the way our hearts are being taught to love um, 
rival gods instead of the one true God who made us. So he goes on to talk about the formative power of culture that we live in and the transformational power of the gospel and the practices of the gospel that will keep us um, focused on the kingdom life, kingdom living. Is that a good summary? Yeah, that's great. He talks about liturgies a lot. That's a word he uses a lot as a kind of seeing our cultural practices as liturgies. Um, and that word can be intimidating or kind of bring to mind, um, I don't know, a very different thing. But I think he s- explains them as uh, habit-forming, love-shaping rituals that get a, ho- a hold of our hearts and aim our loves. And I like that definition of it. It made it a little more accessible to me. Yes, and he admits it in several different places. And it's evident when he writes that he is a student of St. Augustine of Hippo, which is a Northern, a Northern African um, great saint of the early church around 350 A.D. to 430 A.D., wherein he lived. And it's probably the, one of probably the top three pillars of our faith um, in church history p- past the New Testament. And so um, he is really formed himself by St. Augustine's writing and reading and studying that. And what St. Augustine is known for is what does your desires tell you about um, your longings for something else? What are your desires? Um, how do they shape you? And what can you do when it comes to your desires in kingdom living and thinking about Jesus and following Jesus? Totally. Lindsay, what stood out to you or what kind of challenged you or pushed you in in this reading? Oh man, so many things. I feel like I was writing notes down last night, so many nuggets of wisdom that I gleaned. But I think one of the things that stood out to me is that our culture and even how I view myself as a person is like, I'm a thinking thing. I'm a thinking being. And this book challenged me to begin to see myself as not just a thinking thing, but also a loving, worshiping or being. And so I need to pay attention to not just the way that I'm intaking information, but the way I'm being shaped by practices and the way that I live my life, the things that I repeat over and over again. So you're not just a brain on a stick. Nope. Which is a phrase that he loves to use. Yes. Not not that. (laughs) I like to think so sometimes. Just read books constantly and just intake information and I'll totally be formed and shaped into the likeness of Jesus. But Somehow that doesn't just work. I know. We know what to do. We still don't do it. I think that was really interesting on how he can sort of diagnose our culture and sort of ask the big questions like, where do you go every week? Why do you love these places? What TV shows do you watch? Um, What movies are you drawn to and why? Because they will reveal who you are. What apps do you open on your smartphone and why? Right. And those things shape us and they shape us for maybe a deeper longing than we know that they're reaching. Totally. Very interesting to think about. Uh, kind of analyze all of that in our own life. And and I think, um, yeah, not thinking all of that stuff is bad, right? Because we all know we can't just throw out our smartphone and say it's a terrible thing because all of us have Bible apps on our smartphone. We all have um, devotional sort of things right. on our smartphone. We have our smartphones are a source of connection with other people in our lives. It's very real and very important. So how do we kind of balance those those things. Yeah. How do we balance them? And what are the, are you just realizing what is shaping you, you know, and thinking larger, like, why do I go to target? Why do I love target over Walmart? 
you know, that's a real question in my life. Like, <laughs> why do I like Target over at Walmart? I mean, do you want me to make a list? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I liked his idea of just taking like a spiritual audit of yes. the things that you do. How are they actually shaping you as a person? Mm-hmm. Um, such a good question to be asking with like all those things you were talking about, Jay. Yeah, and going back to the heart thing, heart beings, is that he comes out of Proverbs 4, 23 and says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And he sort of takes that verse and sort of just takes us on a journey of how maybe we could make some practices or establish some practices or uh, let go of some practices for our hearts to really flourish under God's care. Is that a good summary of that? Totally. So as you talk about like formational practices, that's a big word. So these are like things you do in order to sustain your love for Jesus. Right. Simple practices like prayer, reading scripture, scripture, worship, going to church. Um, What are some of the cautions you thought he was giving us when he was talking about that, Melissa? I was thinking about um, in my own life, how I incorporate all of those things. Uh, Specifically, like if I'm thinking of something that I do on a regular basis, like work. So let's take that as an example, because I think most, well, everybody works. I mean, whether that work is at home or outside of the home or um, any of those things. But yeah, so if I'm taking the, the ritual of my life of working, how do I take time to reorient myself in that area? And I think for me, a big way is like a Sabbath, like taking whether it's a day or a half a day or an hour, whatever you can take and just totally refocusing my life so that it's focused toward God and living for him and not focused toward whatever my work is. Does that make sense? No, that makes really good sense. Um, Another formational practice for me is like knowing I need to be with the people of God routinely. And we found that out in 2020 in our really harsh way. Totally. When we couldn't gather, but that was like a really formational thing in my life. And as I see people coming back to Calvary um, in this season, they're like, I didn't realize I missed this, or I didn't realize how important this was to my obedience to Jesus every week by attending just a church service and meeting with other Christians on a Sunday. So I thought that was really interesting. What about you, Lindsay? Yeah, you said community, and I, I would divide that, you know, the the gathering of the corporate body of Christ on a Sunday for, for worship, but then also just being in relationship with other people throughout the week. So my, my uh, home group throughout the season was an incredible way that that happened for us, uh, for me and my husband. And it, it's so important to have those consistent people, those consistent spaces where you're with people who love you and know you that you're pointing each other towards the kingdom of God and, and what that looks like for each of you in your lives. Yeah, that's really good. Now, you had a really good quote, Melissa, on page 130 that I thought would be really good for our listeners here at Calvary to sort of hear and then maybe be encouraged to pick up this book and to read it themselves. Yeah, so he's talking about all of those uh, formational things and and that it ultimately ends in the sending. So he says, we're not creating a pure household into which we withdraw and retreat in order to protect ourselves from the big bad world. That would be to shirk our mission to go. 
Instead, we want to be intentional about the formative rhythms of the household so that it is another recalibrating space that forms us and prepares us to be launched into the world to carry out both the cultural mandate and the Great Commission to bear God's image to and for our neighbors. So it's interesting to think about um, both from a church perspective, but also just from a home perspective and what we're, what culture we're shaping in our homes for our spouses, for maybe parents living with us or for our kids. Yeah, this was a book I read a few years ago um, and my kids were really young and I, I thought a lot about what are the things at home that we're preparing our kids for? What are the formational pack practices? And really, it's really good for a parent to think about what do we do as a family on a routine basis that, and what do they, what are those practices teach our kids? You know, if we're like the family that's always on the road to games or the weekends away with camping or things like that, like those aren't bad in themselves, totally. but there are practices in there that can shape your kids for the future. Yeah. And even with roommates, right, Lindsay? Yeah, for sure. We have, we have roommates still, even though we've been married a couple of years and it's so fun living in community. But yeah, for sure. I mean, different seasons of life, there's going to be things that just kind of undergird your home and your household that if someone were to take stock of that, it's like, what is your life moving towards? What do you view yeah. as ultimate? And so then what, what does that play out like in your day-to-day life? What things do you prioritize? And so I think we can all take I take stock of that and, and say, is the kingdom of God, is God's shalom, is the gospel, like the thing that we're oriented towards is becoming an image bearer of Jesus. Is that what I'm most oriented towards? Or is it some other vision of the good life that we've been formed to, um, to think is the best thing that we should be oriented towards? Right. Cause it's so easy. We have so many things in our culture showing us what the good life is, even, mm-hmm. even I, don't know when this is going to air, but yesterday was the Super Bowl and we all love Super Bowl Sunday commercials, right? right? But even just any commercial that we see a million times a day kind of inf- influences us in that way. And like you said, Lindsay, I love the importance of community in reorienting us too. We use prayer to do that. We use scripture to do that. We can also use community to do that when we get a little bit off track and start, you know, heading the wrong direction, even just a tiny bit off track leads us way off track down the road. So the quicker we can get our community or our scripture reading or our prayer to reorient us um, towards what the good life really is, is so important. I wrote this quick quote down. Sorry, I interrupted you, but it says just habits turn our hungers. I just thought that was such a quick, easy way of like habits, the things we do over and over again, they turn our hungers. They turn the things that we really desire. Yeah, that's right. And the bottom line truth, I think from the book is be intentional. Yeah. Just be intentional with your life. And he walks us through ways in which he sees us being unintentional and the practices we could pick up to be intentional. Totally. For what he calls this good life, the vision of the good life. Now, sort of, if someone's like unfamiliar with that, like sort of explain that to um, someone who's listening, who's like, so what is the definition of the good life that he gives us in this book? I can go. Go for it, Lindsay. Okay. Okay. I I think I already said some of these things, but it's really, am I oriented towards becoming a person who is more like Jesus and who is shaped by the vision Mm -hmm. of what is good that the Bible 
provides for us, which I would describe as the kingdom of God. What does like life in the world look like when God is in charge, when Jesus is reigning over our lives and over the communities that we're a part of? And so how do we have practices that shape us towards that end? Yeah, it's because when you come to Jesus, he wants you to have the best life possible. Totally. Like the, the best life possible. And some of us get confused on what that looks like. That doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's the the essence of abundant life. And we're going to talk about that even in this month in the I Am series where it's like, I am the way, the truth, life. And um, what does actually the good life look like is a really important question for all of us to answer yeah. and sort of form our, our stories and our habits towards that end. So we have the expert here today with... Uh, in youth ministry, Lindsay, you're the expert. Uh-huh. In case you didn't know that. In case, in case you, you thought know. Jay was talking about me. Yeah. I think you're quite an expert too. You, you've you raised teenagers and I have not. So that's you trial know, by you know fire some things. We can, only, we can only do it together, Lindsay. We need each <laughs> that's other. That's right. That's right. I know that. Yeah. It's, he spends a big chunk of this book talking about children's ministry and youth ministry. I mean, maybe not a big chunk. Maybe that's an exaggeration. A chapter-ish. A chapter-ish. And I think that's because he has teenage daughters in his house. So he's thinking about these things for them. Totally. I love that. Um, but yeah, and it's interesting. I think when I think about, I have a daughter who's a senior in high school. And when I think about her experience and my son's experience in youth ministry, it's very different than what my experience was growing up. And I think there has been a little bit of, sh- of a shift over those. I mean, it hasn't been that many years, but <laughs> over those few years since I was in youth min- ministry. But so um, on page 153, I'm going to read just a quick quote that he says, um, to be introduced to such disciplines is to be given on ramps into the spirit's power or in a different metaphor, introducing young people to ancient disciplines of prayer Uh, attention, discernment, fasting, and worship is like giving them rafts to make their way into the river of grace. So Lindsay, I was just interested when reading that to think, how have you seen that? I think Calvary Youth Ministry does a great job of this. I'd like to hear how you guys kind of focus attention on that, encourage the kids in that way. And then maybe if you could speak to how you've even seen that play out in your current kids in youth ministry and also maybe as they move into the future, as you send them out in those rafts. <laughs> rafts. I, I know. Um, yeah. I think this book spends a good amount of time talking about the tendency towards youth ministry as just entertainment that then sneaks Jesus in the back door kind yeah. of. And we, I think, endeavor to not be that. It's not that we don't want to have fun uh, because fun is the love language of, of so many people and especially young people. And so it's like so important to create space for that. Um, But we think that spiritual disciplines are a means of grace. Like they are a way that God has uh, given us to, to experience growth, to experience his spirit, to experience the movement of his spirit. And so um, we love to just create space for students on Wednesday nights to worship, to, to pray together in community. I think community is key for learning some of these practices um, every year we take a trip called Ironman, which we haven't been taking since COVID, but um, we always give students hours of solitude. And it's like an incredibly formative space and challenging space for um, for anyone who has grown up with a smartphone and really just anyone in general yeah. that's alive. But I think like that's one that stands out to me that we do consistently is give students just silence and solitude and space away. And it's 
crazy what God does when you just create space and give a little bit of direction of some ways to practice giving your attention to Jesus. Um, I've seen so much growth come from that. And and then I think we have weekly rhythms too. Right now we're encouraging students to be in the word, um, but with people so that there's conversations happening around that. And it's so fun to see the fruit that's coming out of that and the questions that students are pondering and the ways that they're beginning to understand the story that God's telling through all of scripture and how that actually shapes their life. Yeah. So I've been reading your Exodus journal. Exile. Exile. Sorry. You're good. good. It's through X. Well, you talk a lot about. Yeah. We've been in Exodus. Yeah. And um, I've been really impressed by the theological questions you ask, but also like the formative questions that you sort of put the students back in the text, the way in which it's really a great way to read the Bible. Um, in order to understand what God's doing in their own life and to translate some of the traps that we read about in the Bible that people fell into and how to create formational rhythms that would keep you from those things, right? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things we're trying to teach students to do is to read the Bible and say, what is the the eternal truth that that is being communicated by God and by the authors of those scriptures uh, to us. And then what are the implications of that truth? Like what would change in my life if this were true? How would I think differently? How would I feel differently? How would I act differently? Trying not to just focus on either thinking or acting, but also feeling. How would Mm -hmm. that shape just my internal world as well? And great tools for, uh, applying that right like not so that it's not just like you have a you're not giving them a set of do this don't do that rules you're teaching them how to take that scripture and do exactly I think what he's talking about in this book as far as turning your heart attentions toward it and letting that impact your life and then like we talked about sending out and impacting the lives of others it's awesome It's so fun. So fun to be a part of. Love the student ministry team that gets to do this stuff here at Calvary. It's so fun. Yeah. Y'all are doing youth ministry the way in which I didn't do youth ministry when I was a youth minister. We played a lot of broom ball. Yeah. I made my youth ministry (laughs) like... We play a lot of nine square. (laughs) That's fair. You know, in his his book, he says most youth ministries are created around extroverts. And I'm guilty of that in a lot of ways in my own youth ministry time. And when I built youth ministry... And I'm just super impressed, Lindsay, on how intentional you place the students in situations for them to really grow, learn, and grow deeper in their not only knowing of God, but obedience to God before they're released out into the world. Totally. Yeah. It's really cool. So the question that, you know, we want to ask and what we're reading is where would you want to read this book? Like what context? Would it be in a community of just like close friends? Would it be with your spouse? Would it be in a small group or a book club? Um, Lindsay, where, where would you choose to read a book like this in your own life? I think personally I'd gather other people who like to think this way intentionally about life. Um, so probably a book club, but could also be really good in like a life group or a home group uh, type situation. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's more around, are you interested in the topic than in, I don't know, it needing to be in a specific environment. Yeah. The problem with maybe like a small group or a life group or, um, or home group is that you would have to come up with some scriptures to get yourselves totally. in the word because of yes. sort of the phil- philosophical writing of this book instead of 
the theological. Yeah. Those are two totally. big words. But, but you'd have like, if you had like a, there are a lot of like movies in here. Right. You could have a movie club. Right. Just <laughs> no, no. I think that's I really, love it. I, I, that would be really interesting to do a book club and then watch a, some of the movies in order to understand like where he's trying to go yeah. in his illustrations. Yeah, That'd be it is really interesting. Cool. That'd yeah. be really fun. Yeah, I think similar to what Lindsay said, uh, the question the question that stuck with me after this is, um, how do I be faithful in a society or culture that seems to be shaping me more than I'm being discipled and shaped? So if I were thinking of reading this with a group, I just think, who are the other people asking that same question? And maybe that's my spouse, maybe it's my children, uh, roommates, or maybe it is a small group or a book club. I think those look, like Lindsay said, so different for everybody. Sometimes a book club feels more like a church small group and vice versa. But yeah, yeah, so I just think look for other people asking that question and answer it together. Yeah, I would would say maybe even reading it with a mentor, someone who can ask the Mm -hmm. questions that he's asking so that you can really process like what are the habits you are falling into and what are habits are forming you and Love that. I think that would be a really good sort of growth chart chance for me if yeah. I had a mentor asking those questions yeah you have a mentor I have a mentor who's my mentor I, I'm sure you have a mentor I do have a mentor <laughs> I've always had mentors and that's just one of the formative that's great that's my student I ministry that. days when I was I grew up in an awesome youth group so I had youth ministers who said, Jay, in order to survive in this world, you're going to always need mentors. So true. Always have a mentor. Yeah. Like, okay. I was like 17. I'll so how do, you, how do you find that person? How do you find that person? I don't want to turn this into a whole mentoring thing, but I think that's a good <laughs> suggestion yeah. and for people that are like, I wish I had a mentor. How do you find that? Yeah. I think the first step is to realize your need for one, obviously, yeah. um, to pray and spend at least a few weeks maybe even a few months praying for the right mentor. Yeah, I agree. Because um, you have to prepare your own heart to be to receive someone like that and preparing the ground for them to receive you. So that's, that's asking the Lord to put the right person in your life. And yeah. then, you know, there's there's some formal ways. Like I have to give a plug out to men's and women's mentoring at totally. Calvary because yep. you can actually go to calvarybible.com slash mentor and find a mentor. Um, so there's a formal way, but the informal way would be look at people in your life that are older than you that you respect. Yeah, kind of the next stage of life, right? Yeah, and who've been through the season that you're in mm-hmm. or been through two or three ahead of you. Yeah. You know, and um, really people that you want to hang out with or people you're like, they would really challenge me because they live different than I do. Yeah. And then ask them. And I... That's the hardest part. That That's is hard, the hardest, hardest part. part. It is the hardest part. Yeah. Actually, I think asking is not the hardest part. It's for me getting a plan to put in front of them and say, I need this. Yes. Yes. An awareness That's of true. what do I need yeah. from a mentor? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. And I think it's good too. the flip side of that. I think a lot of people think about needing a mentor, but also think about in your own life who you can be a mentor to. That's really good. And I think about this um, with a daughter who's in high school, like just all the houses that she goes into to babysit and the moms that are mentoring her in ways that they are probably not even aware of or she's aware of, but it will be so formative to her, right. to her future. And I just love that. So encouragement to young moms out there that you have these girls in your house or boys in your house on a regular basis. And it's great to 
think through that aspect of it too, how you can be a mentor. Yeah, definitely. And there's seasons when you just got to receive something like totally. a mentor. And there's seasons where you can be a mentor to someone 100%. else. 100%. And um, I think it's a prayerful experience more than anything. And asking maybe even your spouse or your community or your roommates, hey, who would be a good mentor for me is another big question yeah, to ask. because sometimes other people can see it much better. Yep, totally. Okay, so getting back to the book, I think the bottom line for me in this was the intentionality of asking the questions, what are, what are the cultural practices? What are the things I'm doing, falling trap into, and that are habits that are shaping me? And how can I sort of counter those if they aren't gospel-centered habits? Mm -hmm. Or how do I put habits that like really will form me into the good life of following Jesus, obeying him, to living that great life with him? And I think Kingdom, the You Are What You Love, and his other books, Desiring the Kingdom and How Not to Be Secular, are all dancing around this question of intentionality and culture. Um, and that's because he's a philosopher. Right. But also, I think he's a brilliant man and um, a great voice in these years for us to sort of listen to. Yeah, for sure. So another great way to, to find out what James K. Smith is saying is go to your podcasting app, search James K. Smith. He has a lot of talks on there. Um, there's one on at Q a few years ago that That's I'm going to put in the one. show show notes because I think it really sums up what he's doing and who he is. But if you're interested in jumping in on this book, let us know that you're reading it or your home group is reading or your book club is reading it. Um, we would love to know uh, how this book is influencing you. And then, Melissa, you have anything else to say to Calvary folks this nope, just Monday morning? If you need a copy, you know three people who have it. So That's reach right. out to us. We'd love to discuss it with you and pass on our copies. Well, mine's a digital copy, so I can't. Oh, This gosh, is one of those Jay. Kindle books that I read. Two <laughs> copies update. Well, for <laughs> sure, there's two copies. <laughs> hey, friends, it's so good to be with you on the weekly. Just know that we continue to pray for you. We look forward to connecting with you and let us know how you're reading this book at the weekly at calvarybible.com. We would love to hear from you. Lindsay, it's been a joy to be with you today. So fun. Thanks, Thanks for reading for this book. Thanks for having me. So yeah. fun. We just, we bless you. We're so thankful for you. Thankful that you are in the place you are called to lead these students in a crazy, awesome season of their lives. And looking forward to seeing your formation. Ooh, you see what I did there? Oh. At Denver Seminary. So, hey, if you excited that Lindsay's in student ministry, give her a email or text or a high five when you see her at church at Calvary. And elbow? Elbow? And elbow. Yeah, we don't do high fives anymore. Just Dave. kidding. You hey. can high five me. <laughs> and I forgot to mention this earlier. Melissa owes me coffee because my great Hug. football team, Texas A&M, won and the rankings of National Signing Day. Well, let me just say, they didn't win, and SEC team still won. <laughs> Roll Tide, but they did rank higher than the Gators, so I do owe you coffee, yes. All right, we're out, people. Have a great week. <laughs>